an A&E original podcast. Do you have a relationship with the chain? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Do you have a relationship Did with <laughs> the chain? Like, tell us about your, you know, your first chain. Or... <laughs> oh, here come the chains. I hear them. You hear them, right? <laughs> There's just a few pieces. All right, so where we at? Born in the Bronx, raised in the streets from coast to coast and worldwide, these are the stories, the moments in time, the places and faces, the origins of hip-hop. Hosted by me, Grandmaster Kaz. Let me break it down for you one time. Hip-hop and fashion have always been linked from the very beginning, but in 2022, it's fair to say that streetwear now dominates the racks and runways. In all these years, no accessory has carried more symbolic weight than the chain. From simple gold rope to massive jewel-encrusted clocks, the chain is at once a cultural metaphor, a financial flex, and an aesthetic statement. It has transcended beyond the accessory. In this episode, we talk about the chain. Yes, the necklace of hip-hop jewelry. But we also use the chain as a metaphor to represent larger hip-hop fashion and culture. We explore the detailed nuances, and we also take a wider look across global fashion movements. Speaking to Lonzo Williams of the World Class Wrecking Crew, Breakdancers Quick Step and Rockefeller, Dr. Ebony Utley, and even my jeweler, Avi Maladani. Let's take a look and a listen as we dive into the chain. Hey folks, this is Lonzo, the godfather of West Coast Hip Hop, leader of World Class Wrecking Crew, and the owner of Eve After Dark, the only teen nightclub that rocked from 10 o'clock to 5 o'clock in the morning. You better ask your mama, can you come back in the house? Because your ass gonna be in trouble. My, my chain means everything, Doc. It's amazing how these things uh, become a part of you. Like I said, I don't take my chain off for nothing. Not even for sex. <laughs> part of my superpower, baby. But yeah, it's just, it just, even at the doctor, man, uh, when I do a x-ray or something, I'll take it off, but the first thing I put on before I put on my drawers is my damn chain. Don't ask me why. I've been, I've been doing this all since, I was, since I've been wearing chains. You know, it's just something... Uh, that I've always done. Like I said, I got into a scuffle one night at the club and it came off. It was snatched off. I think somebody tried to steal it, but when I realized it was gone, I looked for it for about two hours and I was kind of panicking. And then somebody walked up, hey man, ain't this yours? I'm like, wow, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, it's like, it was like a boomerang came right back to me. So I have three different chains. Uh, I, my, I have my original world-class wrecking crew medallion which uh, at some point in time, I hope should be worth quite a bit of money because it's the original one. And if you look at our first world-class album, you see everybody had a chain. And um, I still have my original chain and it says Lonzo on it. So, I mean, it's, it's right. If you, went to, if you went to melt it down in weight and gold, probably not that valuable, but what it represents is priceless. The chain is is a symbol in in, in culturally um, hip hop. Before hip hop was around, um, people were wearing chains, and people looked up to people who you know who wore jewelry like that. Mostly musicians, 
actors, um, athletes, and locally, drug dealers. You know, and those were the people who had the kind of jobs or who could afford this kind of jewelry, who had disposable income on that level to afford that kind of jewelry and, and real jewelry at that. And more interesting, it's carried on all the way from then till today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of the early iconic images of hip-hop is the album cover of Curtis Blow's self-titled debut record. He posed shirtless, arms crossed, with layered gold chains and a medallion glistening off his chest. The ropes themselves were delicate and understated by later hip-hop standards, but the effect was no less stunning. It feels almost like a classical portrait, the prince that was promised. And Curtis was soon enough become royalty when his single, The Breaks, cracked half a million sales, the first hip-hop artist to be certified gold. I remember in Eve After Dark, we were in the midst of various style trends. They had a, a West Side style trend called the Sky Look, where everybody was kind of wearing trench coats and the big thick heels and whatever. But we also, at the same time, was, was uh, engulfed in the Prince look. You know, guys had the, the long hair. Arabian Prince was notorious for that. Print hair all in his face. Girls that would literally come to the eve after dark in their, you know, little nice, petite outfits, go in the bathroom and come out in the Campbell And I'm sitting there one day looking at all the various styles that we catered to. And that was something, I think, that made the eve after dark and that era so unique because you had a lot of diversity, not only in style, but in your your dance steps. I mean, people dance. Some people just dance. Did, they did the freak. Some people did that sky stuff, you know, like the, uh, I forgot what they called them. But it, and then we still had breakers. We still had pop lockers. So you had everybody that was doing something different and that gave it, that whole era, so much more flavor. Unlike today, where everybody's pretty much doing the same thing. Let's run the jewels. Run DMC were undeniably on the cutting edge of hip-hop fashion. Rocking shell-toe Adidas, bucket hats, and the dookie gold rope chain. That is a single, fat, braided gold chain to accent their look. The massive statement piece took hold, and artists like Biz Markey, Slick Rick, and Rakim became embroiled in an unofficial arms race. Who could rock the most gold? In some ways, it could be seen as a reflection of hip-hop's growing ambition and the desire to be seen as a legitimate money-making enterprise in a world dominated by white corporate interests. My name is Gabriel Quickstep Denicio. I'm a breaker, my crew, Full Circle Soldiers, and Fresh Kids, Brooklyn, NYC. I'm known as Bigo Rockefeller, um, based out of the Bronx, and my crew is Full Circle Soldiers. You know, hip-hop had its own, you know, fashion trends. Um, B-boys, 
especially. If you look at Run DMC, the way they dressed, that's how B-Boys dressed. Adidas tracksuits, you know, Kango or fedora hats, uh, Adidas. Uh, and we took bits and pieces from everywhere, you know, gangsters on the block, athletes. But no matter what you wore, it had to be crispy, fresh, and clean. Now, for myself, I was broke. So I had goals. <laughs> I'm like, I want to dress like that. So believe it or not, some of the top breakers that I knew didn't have any fashion as far as the latest fashion. Some of them had hand-me-down clothes, like me, right? People handing me down Lees and mock necks that were too big for me. But I wore them because it was a status symbol for me. And I was like, I'm going to grow into these clothes. And so when I grew into the fashion of what hip-hop was, Again, it's like growing in from a soldier into a lieutenant and then a general and the master of your destiny. And it showed in the way you dressed. And so, you know, before you went out, you ironed your fat laces. You had your mock neck, which is a sweater of the time made of polyester, your leaves. And you had to make sure that, you know, put starch on your leaves and iron it. So you had the, um, the, uh, the crease in the front. And some of them were permanent creases where, you know, you brought it to the tailor and they had a permanent crease sewed down the front of the legs, right? And so you almost look like a graffiti character. So the graffiti characters in the 80s uh, that were on pieces on the train were emulating B-boys, you know what I mean? And then the influences went both ways. So the way the letters rocked in the train and the colors, uh, that's how we dressed, you know what I mean? And the, and the colors were vibrant, but they were always matching. So let's say burgundy and white are your favorite colors. So then, you know, you dress accordingly. So you had, you know, white Adidas with burgundy stripes, burgundy laces. You had um, white leaves, a burgundy mock neck with a white Kango, let's say, you know? And so everything had to match. So when you danced, people can see the burgundy white almost like in streaks. You know what I mean? And when you did a freeze, bam, you were emulating like the graffiti you saw on the trains with the different angles. So every element influenced the other. But what every element had in common, you had to be at your best. And fashion had a lot to do with what was at your best when you were presenting yourself. I remember seeing um, like the trucker hats. I remember seeing clothing that would be functional and practical for what this, you know, the dancer was gonna do. So like as a woman too, like I didn't want the waist to go up too much because I might be scraping the skin on my, you know, my hip, you know, on my, my lower back. I wanted the sleeves to cover my wrist because I know I'm gonna grab the floor and potentially, you know, scrape my skin. So I want something to cover my wrist. Um, I like the zip up, I, you know, in case it gets too hot, I can zip, and t zip it down and take it off. So the, as much as the fashion was trendy, it was also functional. I couldn't wear something that was gonna have like friction or like a rubber thing on my shoulder. No, because then I can't, I can't use that. So a lot of it was intended for use. I mean, some people aspire to have gold chains because of the people that they looked up to, that they saw with gold chain, especially musicians. Musicians like Al Green and Johnny Taylor and the Isley Brothers and, and groups like uh, Parliament. And all these guys used to be adorned with jewelry. And uh, for a musician, 
It's like you, you aspire to that thing. And then if you look around culturally in the neighborhoods, um, the drug dealers, the, the guys with the big cars, the pimps from, from when I grew up in the 70s, those are the people with the big rings and the bracelets and the chains and stuff. So they all were symbols of su success. Whether you saw an athlete with one, whether you saw an actor, entertainer uh, with one, you wanted one because it was a symbol, like, like they say, that I made it. Um, they started out small, and if you could afford one, you got whatever you could afford. Uh, 10 carat, sometimes fake chains, fake gold chains. There was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of slum jewelry. <laughs> okay, in the early days of hip-hop, a lot of green necks and fingers and wrists. Um, just to have the look. Um, I'm guilty myself at times, you know what I mean? Just give me a little 10 carat, so it'll look like I got a, a, a ring or something. Or, um, but it, it definitely made you feel like, okay, I, I'm good. And just like a woman, you know, whatever accessories they wear with their actual outfit, that accessory completes you. There's no better symbol for hip hop than a big gold chain. Like we said earlier, if somebody, if you look at somebody wearing a gold chain nine times out of 10, you're not gonna think, um, you're not gonna think athlete first. You're not gonna think actor first. You're not gonna think royalty first. Uh, you're gonna think hip hop. Now let's talk to my man, Avi Maladani, a jeweler. I like the frequent, shall we say. These are the classics chains, Miami Cubans, handmade. You can get them a white gold, yellow gold, rose gold, any grams, any size. Um, beautiful pieces, very easy to move. And we have an iconic rope chain. We have the Figaro, which is definitely a little bit out of style now, but still a beautiful piece. And if you like the uniqueness, um, it's handmade. Um, they all come in different designs and styles. And today, chains has come a long way from just being gold. Now, the new style is iced out diamond chains which are beautiful you can get them in any sizes and any quality and then you have the new hip-hop style Cuban iced out chain which is just immaculate you know this is something like a choker you can get it in different length different sizes obviously the back is all solid gold and then you have a cluster of diamonds just running through it that when you put it around your neck People don't see your face, they see the chain. All right, let's take it to the Diamond District. With the growing market of hip-hop statement pieces, a parallel industry sprang up in the world of high-end jewelry. Jacob Arabo, a.k.a. Jacob the Jeweler, was one of the first and definitely the most infamous jeweler in New York's early hip-hop scene. In some ways, his own journey was similar to many young rappers. A Russian immigrant, he grew up poor in the borough of Queens. Coming of age in the hip-hop era, he dropped out of school to make money as an apprentice jewelry maker. By the early 90s, he had his own shop in the Diamond District, and the notorious B.I.G. was wearing his pieces. All of the biggest names in hip-hop and across the entertainment spectrum have commissioned pieces from Jacob. He paved the way for a whole generation of contemporary hip-hop jewelers like Ben Baller, Mr. Flawless, Johnny Dang, and Ian Marks. Not unlike early OJ car service drivers, these figures have become ingrained in hip-hop culture in their own right. 
My name is Avi Maladani. I'm a third generation jeweler in the Diamond District in New York. I specialize in diamonds, watches, and the chain. You know, hip hop is, is, is a big, big uh, money industry for many industries, not just the jewelry, you know, clothing, stuff like that. Um, gives kids the, uh, you know, the strive to want to go out and get it. And, you know, they look up to these rappers and hip hop and, you know, artists, which is, which is amazing because it opens up doors for so many more opportunities. I personally feel like it definitely impacted our industry in, in, a, in a positive way where, you know, once one rapper buys something or a hip hop artist buys something, you know, it, it starts to trend like wildfire. So um, that's a big plus. You know, hip hop does have a big influence on many industries and may continue going that direction. Basically, for me, chains symbolize hip-hop. Um, these big, dunky, gold rope chains, they symbolize hip-hop for us. And um, for me, it doesn't matter, I mean, if they're real or not. It's just a symbol of a time and a period in hip-hop. And that's, that's what I wear them for. That's what I use them as. There's certain things you can point to, and, and they symbolize hip-hop in a way and uh because of you know the early 80s the run dmc era the ll cool j's and the guys with the big bismarckies all dougie fred so that kind of blew this sensibility up you got the miami cuban chain you got the franco chain you have the rope chain you have the bullet uh chain you have the link chains you have handcrafted chains that are not replaceable or not duplicatable and um, many, many more, but those are the main ones. The Rope, the Cuban, the, the Franco. Those are one of the most popular and in-style chains that are out there. The chain markets you as somebody of status, I would say. Gives you a sense of uh, you know, accomplishment, the chain. Uh, the chain gives you the, gives you the ability to you know, go out and do bigger, better things. When, when people look at themselves and, and, and they have a chain, you know, they they feel like they can keep going, and you know, it's a, it's an amazing feeling to have that accomplishment. Not everyone want, not everyone can go out there and afford a four or five thousand dollar chain or whatever it is. You know, um, the Cuban chain especially is you know iconic for decades, especially in the hip hop industry. Me personally, it's one of my favorite chains ever produced, and I think it'll be in style for a very very long time. I don't think that's one of the chains that will go out of style and it represents a lot for the person purchasing it in his own way everyone has their own way of understanding the representation that that chain gives them I, the first chain I, I had was I didn't buy you know we got them girlfriends when we was young in hip hop so you know you get your girl to buy you a chain or we would wear their chains I remember, you know, having my girlfriend's chain or her wearing mine. It was like a kind of thing like I'm wearing my boyfriend's chain or I'm wearing my girlfriend. It was a little less masculine, okay, for men to wear the girl's chain because they was little feminine, little scripty, you know, little chains and stuff. And I was a little more bold and, and, and uh, um, you, you can read them um, clearer. But, yeah, the first chains were like gifts, you know. I remember all the young girls used to have a little religious chain. I mean, thin. You talking thin? I'm talking about thin. Thin, thin chains. And they would have a little re religious medallion at the end, uh, a saint or whatever. 
And uh, that was my first time seeing like chains, you know, worn traditionally until hip hop came along. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Jesus piece. Just like the individual hip-hop songs and styles that filtered out of the Bronx and inspired new movements across the country, certain iconic jewelry pieces became transcendent and meaningful in their own right. The Jesus piece, a gold necklace with a pendant featuring Christ's face with his thorny crown, is perhaps the best example of this. Biggie Smalls made this particular chain part of his rap persona, even referencing it in his lyrics. If we're discussing the chain, we must discuss the Jesus piece. My name is Dr. Ebony Etley. I'm a professor of communication studies, the author of Rap and Religion, and while I don't have a Jesus piece, I understand why people rock them. Religion has always been a part of the Black American experience, and it will continue to be so in the future. It will take different forms. Absolutely, we've seen that in the past 50 years, but it's always going to be present. Like, I believe that as... African being spirituality is in our DNA. So it shows up in everything that we do, whether we're conscious of it or not. And I think the baseline is a perfect example of that, that like tick, tick, like as soon as it hits, like you feel it in your soul and there's something about you that wants to move like with that base. That is a spiritual experience. Like that is a religious experience. And that is the core of what hip hop is. So we can translate that into talking about the Jesus piece, not as an anomaly, but something that is part and parcel of hip-hop culture. So in Rap and Religion, I write about the Jesus piece from three different perspectives. The first is Jesus as a companion, right? Jesus is the homie. Like Jesus is the God down here that gets you. And Jesus goes where you go, right? Jesus is a reminder that if you're wearing your Jesus piece, that you are empowered to do what needs to be done. But the crucified Jesus is also a reminder that doing what needs to be done is not going to be easy. Haters gonna hate. Death is always around the corner. Jesus got crucified by the state. It's going to be difficult for you to achieve and survive. And I think anyone in an oppressed set of circumstances can resonate with that when they rock the Jesus piece. But the Jesus piece also represents commodification. Like we're putting a God around of our necks, right? So some of that 
is about the powers of protection, like any other patron saint. Some of that is about prosperity. Look what I got. Look what God gave me. Like I'm working on a chain around my neck and that represents my success. Some of that is about peace of mind. If God's got me, then I don't have to worry about the rest of you, right? The rest of the haters who might be trying to oppress me in different ways. And yes, right? A white Jesus piece with blood diamonds still represents colonialization in so many of its forms. Does that mean that we shouldn't do it? No, it just means that humans are complex and the religions that humans participate in are complex and our iconography for deities are also complex. So if you can put Jesus on a chain and Jesus still ends up being an empowering figure for people around the world, then you can be a rapper and present yourself as a gangster or a bitch or like a gangster bitch and still be empowered, still be a human being and still not be selling your soul even though you're selling these representations that are going to be profitable for you because you need them to be profitable because you got to find a way to make money because as much as Jesus rides for us, he don't pay the bills directly. This symbol of ultimate sacrifice and resurrection would carry further symbolic weight when Biggie himself became a martyr for hip hop. This dual meaning gave the Jesus piece an otherworldly stature. Heavy lies the crown. The way the Jesus piece is commodified is not unlike prosperity Christianity and how it's commodified. Whether we're talking about pastors and their jewelry and how they dress or big mega churches or mega churches and businesses that belong to Christian entities like that, again, is part and parcel of what it means to be religious in the United States of America. So this idea that that somehow it's problematic to have a blinged out like Jesus piece, but somehow it's not problematic to have a mega church is the same. It's the same complexity in both instances. Right. If you're going to judge one, then you have to judge the other. You don't get to pick and choose. If your entire life you've been told that you're worthless and representations that you see of yourself on media suggest that you are worthless, wearing a chain of a deity that you believe in around your heart makes you worth something like it it's it's not a mistake that the chain sits on your heart I mean, it sits on your chest it sits in the center of your spiritual being and it suggests that even if other people hate me and hate who I am and hate what I represent and where I'm from like the God that I believe in doesn't and not only that Jesus was gangsta. Like Jesus understands oppressed people. Jesus knows what it's like to be oppressed by the state, to be accused of something that you didn't do and to be crucified for that. Like not figuratively, but literally is how a lot of people interpret the Jesus experience. And so wearing that like on your heart suggests that like you, you, you get it, right? And someone else gets you. And so even when it's not about anyone else, wearing a Jesus piece around your heart can be affirming for you as an individual. Everything glitters. Whether you're splashing a first six-figure advance on a fat gold rope or renting that drip for an Instagram shoot, the chain is often used to say one thing, I made it. Of course, at the end of the day, we don't remember artists for their jewelry. We remember the jewelry because of the artist. And that's the cultural power of hip-hop. Even when we take a step back and acknowledge that exquisite necklaces have been universally associated with status across human history. Now, if you see a thick gold chain, you're not thinking Aztec kings or British monarchy. You're thinking the notorious B.I.G. And a little more from Lonzo. 
And you know, when it came to fashion, man, I've always been kind of my own man. When I first started doing The Eve After Dark, hip hop had not formally been introduced to, to, to the West Coast. So I did my own thing. I was a former employee at Kenny's Shoes. So I wore ties. I wore sports coats and ties to a teen nightclub. And that was my way of distinguishing myself as being the boss. Uh, even right now, I'm still somewhat of a fashionista. It's just that the places to wear them, wear my clothes, is limited. And I'm usually the most overdressed person in the room. And that's just because I still wear shoes sometimes. They have heels on them. All my shoes aren't tennis shoes. I may sport cowboy boots, depending on how I'm feeling. And, you know, you, when you're in an all-hip-hop environment, you walk in there wearing some cowboy boots and some jeans that's not too tight. You, man, you, 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 now you're a cowboy. People got things to say, and I don't give a damn, but I just get tired of having to, you know, uh, being, sometimes I just want to blend in. In today's uh, dress code, everybody wears tennis shoes all the time. There's no versatility. I have 75 pairs of shoes, and 10 of those are tennis shoes. The rest of them are hard sole shoes. So being a senior player in hip-hop, I never converted to all tennis shoes. I still wear, I have 10 pair of tennis shoes, but I, I, most of them are white or some type of, uh, you know, some kind of semi-designer, but that's not my only thing I wear. And um, again, because I'm a senior member of hip hop, I can do that. I would go to hip hop events and I would wear hip hop ish attire, a hoodie and a pair of jeans and some, and some tennis shoes or whatever. I would feel not like myself. I didn't feel like Lonzo. I didn't feel like me. So I blended in. And I was talking to a friend of mine. He, I told him, we talked about this. And he says, man, wear what you, wear what you feel comfortable in. And when I did, my respect level increased because I wasn't trying. I, I'm not trying. I don't have to blend in, okay? I don't have to blend in. I'm the godfather. I can do what I want to do. So I'm influenced by the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. I'm influenced by all that, and all that's a part of my DNA. So it's all a part of my fashion DNA. So if I want to wear a pair of cowboy boots and some jeans and a sport coat and a, and a uh, mock turtleneck sweater with a hat, I'm going to look good in it, and you can't say nothing about it because it's going to look good. And here's some more from Breakers, Quick Step, and Rockefeller. I think people love the freedom of the fashion and the way we flip it. And that's an expression that every human being loves. Not to be confined to what people want them to wear. They're being expressive according to what they want to wear. And that's what hip hop does. You know, hip hop took, you know, let's let's take the mock neck sweater. It was a, you know, sweater in the 70s. It was polyester and you wore it to look fresh. But Breakers found out that polyester spins really good on wood. So not only did we look fresh, we can spin fresh too, you know? And, you know, some breakers like, you know, I'm gonna dress fresh and I don't wanna wear a headband and, and wristband and uh, a tracksuit. I wanna look fresh and wear wallabies, uh, which is a particular brand of shoes and style. I wanna wear Lees, a Kangol, and a mock neck. And they will go down and break and come up and still look clean, right? And so it's about being practical and the way you're efficient with your moves and extravagant with what you're wearing. And I think that's what people want to be associated with, the extravagant cool of what hip hop is from a people that have nothing. 
For instance, I was at a club called The Fun House. I was in an, in an Adidas track suit. Um, I handed me down one at that. And I was watching this guy standing there with his arms folded. Now, the white and burgundy I was telling you about, he had on a burgundy mock neck, white leaves, Adidas, you know, everything burgundy white sequenced, right? Uh, burgundy Kango. He was there with his arms folded, you know, rocking his head back and forth. He didn't like what he was seeing. People were trying this move called 1990s, where you spin on one hand upside down, right? Some people would get in one, two turns. And he just went out and started top rocking with a lot of style, went into his 1990 and did about five spins. Boom, came down and folded his arms and ended up in the same position that he started with, which was standing there with his feet in the b-boy position, arms folded, and his kango was still tilted. None of that came off or changed positions on his face or head. And I'm like, I want to be like that. Because that's the epitome of what hip-hop is, especially being a breaker or what they call a b-boy. Fashion, sense, style, finesse, and ultimate cool. Yeah, and I don't know that hip-hop intentionally decides to go against, you know, the fashion norms. I don't know if it's that it's trying to defy or if it's just really saying, I can't afford this, so I'm gonna do that. Or I need it this way for today. This is what I have that's, you know, clean in my laundry, you know, bag. And so as much as we wore the hat to the back, you know, the fat laces, or we wore stuff that didn't match, it was us being ourselves and saying, top that. Can you outdo this? You know, I'm gonna wear this. It's gonna go together because I'm wearing it together, and that's that. So I don't know so much that hip hop was saying, oh, we can't wear white in the winter, so we shouldn't wear this, o this only thing that I own that's white. If it's the only thing I own, I'm gonna wear that because that's all I have. And so I think it was straddling these two things of you know, being defiant, but also surviving. And then making it all look so good, you know? Like, I look good, you wanna, don't you wanna look like this? <laughs> and so once you walk out the door with that type of confidence, who can tell you no? It's, it's yes all the way, <laughs> so. Yeah, well, this was just a simple accessory for hip hop in the early days. And now look at it today. It, it's grown culturally and commercially and goes side by side with fashion. The look of success includes chains now. <laughs> it includes gold diamonds and not just for women, but for men as well. I have witnessed hip hop really grow and become a force, a powerful impact to the planet. And I believe it's because of this idea that you don't have to have financial backing, you don't have to have real estate or a trust fund. It really is what's inside of you and how are you preparing what you're presenting? Because you gotta be unique, you can't copy, right? No biting. And it just has to outdo and exceed anybody's expectations of you. And so we can do that if we're given a chance. But we were never actually given the mic. We were never given the paintbrush. We were never given the conservatory or the, you know, the halls where music was being done. And so finally some, you know, some people knocked open the door and here we came. And I feel that around the planet there's always that disenfranchised population that feels like, oh man, if I could just get in, I could prove to people that I'm amazing, I'm dope, I'm intellectual, I'm smart. I'm worthy of love, I'm worthy of respect. And so I think that that's the message that goes out along with the fashion, along with the music, the artwork. That's, that's the message and that's a powerful theme to tell people, just get up, but be good at what you do, but get up and get to it and people will remember you and they'll call you 
and you'll get work and you'll be able to change your circumstances and your situations. And we now know and can see internationally that this small symbolic starting point has come to represent a larger universal influence across all fashion and culture today. Hip hop is inescapable and I love it. This is the origins of hip hop and we're out. Looking for more Origins of Hip Hop content? Check out the Origins of Hip Hop television show. New episodes air Tuesdays at 10, 9 central, only on A&E. Watch live, stream, or on demand. And don't miss the exclusive after show, Origins of Hip Hop Extended Play, hosted by me, Kaz, and the legendary Shah Rock. Premiering on video on demand after every new episode of Origins of Hip Hop on A&E. This episode is hosted by yours truly, Grandmaster Kaz. Produced and edited by Bennett Barbaco and Rob Amjarv. Written and produced by Clay Seneschal. Our associate producer is the lovely Emma Damakash. And executive produced by Bennett Barbaco and Larry Adam. And for A&E, this episode was also produced by Aisha Jordan. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and executive producer is Jesse Katz. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.